0: Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast series. And I'm really pleased today to have Colin Moby with me. Uh, Colin and I have got to know each other through various networking routes over the, over the past couple of years. And i um, Just a bit of a backstory on Colin then. Colin worked at Eon for 14 years in IT consultancy and roles heading up service management, service support, and then left in 2019, just before the pandemic hit uh, and moved out to do, you know, his own coaching role. And in 2020, started Winwood Coaching, which has got a focus on team development, teamship, Colin and I were talking about that phrase earlier, um, and the idea of moving away from leadership, being focused just on leaders, to it being in the hands of the whole team. Uh, outside of work, Colin enjoys reading, yoga, and um, the expression he used here, geeking out on geek stuff. So, yeah, good to have you today, Colin.
1: Thanks, Tony. Yeah, definitely a, a geek who loves geeking out Yeah. <laughs> anything Star anything comic-related. Who needs a sports metaphor when you can bring Han Solo or Batman into the uh, equation?
0: <laughs> so what's your favourite geek stuff of the moment
1: then? Oh, well, there's a question. There's a whole podcast of its own. But yeah. of the moment, um, I'm really into Batman. I think the new Batman film has reignited my love for the classic Batman stories, the real detective stuff, the real hero element rather than perhaps some of the, the Hollywood bits that have come into it recently. But yeah, the new Batman very dark, but it is. But yeah, but you can't really beat Batman, can you?
0: Ah, right. Yeah, I'm mean, fully enough, I was seeing um, yesterday that I must get around to what whether I'll get to the cinema to watch it or wait till it uh, comes out on Prime or something. But I must get around to watching that. I must. Admit, I went to see the Joker three year, three was about three years ago, I think, uh, which I thought was fantastic. That's not from the same. Is you no, know?
1: it's it's a DC it's- DC have done it but it's very it's not in the same universe I mean okay. we're really geeking out here but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a great film it's a great film and very different which I kind of like that element as well it's a very different to you again yeah. I love all the Marvel movies I'm really you know all the Marvel movies and the TV shows but I think every now and then you need something different, just to just to shake you up. But yeah, great great character yeah. film that one.
0: Okay, so we've all you and I are already going off at tangents as I knew would. <laughs> and uh, well, people are getting a better understanding already of uh, the person who's on the podcast episode today. So let's let's talk about um, just I guess some some of the highs and lows on your path to wingwood coaching. Um, what what brought you to this place of a, I guess, moving from a really big corporate organisation, setting up on your own, and then this sort of focus on uh, the, the essence of team, really. So what's the journey there then, Colin?
1: Yeah, you've kind, of, kind of given the sort of CV outline, I suppose, there, which is even before Rion, I was still in IT because I did a geography degree. And obviously the logical thing to do after you've done a geography degree is go into IT. Of course. Who knows? Um, but it, it worked at the time. So I've, I've always been around IT and tech and development and software and processes and methodologies. And I love that kind of thinking um, and that kind of purposeful thinking as a point to what you're doing. And you can see the point of what you're doing. Um, but as I kind of moved through that, I kind of realized I'm not as clever as other people, as some of these other programmers, as some of these other developers. Um, and realized my skills lay more in the sort of, um, helping people area rather than the doing, you know, certainly there came a point with coding where it's like, well, this is, I don't mind learning the code to fix a problem, but I don't, I'm not, I'm just not academically clever. Um, it's just not where it's just not what I enjoy. So I kind of started to veer more towards the people stuff and you know, working with people, leading teams, building teams, creating teams, solving problems through, through that kind of route. Um, and just kept going in that direction, really. Um, you know, the team leadership stuff, heads of departments, executive roles, all that kind of stuff. But very quickly realised, um, well, the, the moment I realised, I still remember it um, because I should have, in hindsight, it's one of those things, why didn't I notice this before? But, you know, experiences are what they are. Um, there came a point a few years ago where every night where I was driving home, if I was driving home, there's a layby. Um You'll probably know it. It's not far off Junction 25, the M1. I still smile when I pass it. But most evenings I was stopping at that lay-by on the way home because when I got to that point, the the shakes in my hands had got that bad that okay. I was struggling to hold on to the steering wheel. It was wow. kind of that point where the stress, the pressure of the day was coming out and it was coming out physically. And I got into the habit of just pulling over, taking a few breaths, get it under control, and I carry on. Wow. And it was just a way of dealing with it. Um but it got worse. It got worse. I spent longer in that lay-by. It'd take a bit more. I'd end up on my phone. I'd end up doing things. But in that lay-by was where I started to make decisions. So one of the decisions I started to make, I, I made back then, was, so you mentioned in the intro, yoga. Um, I remember I think I was going to bring somebody because the shakes were pretty bad. I was going to bring my wife. I was going to bring somebody. But I chickened out and ended up on the app store. And on offer was a yoga app. I was like, oh, I wanted to do yoga for ages. I wasn't very fit back then. I downloaded that yoga app, and I did yoga the next day. And from that day, which must have been five years ago, I've done yoga pretty much every day. Wow! Okay, yeah. And I suddenly realised, oh, this is a good place to kind of think things through, make decisions. And that kind of, I started to think through all the good things um, I enjoyed about work. Quite often, what had led me to that lay-by was the bad stuff. It was all like, oh, this: what I'm doing, I'm not enjoying. Or uh, I'll talk about an outsourcing deal we were doing. Um, which was kind of what culminated in me leaving the corporate world. But it kind of, I started to have a bit of space where I could think, you know what, what I do enjoy about my job is the people stuff. Spending time with my team, spending time chatting, spending time talking, encouraging, supporting, laughing, crying. You know, you call it coaching and mentoring in terms of traditional sense, but ultimately it was just being with people and helping people. Um, And I kind of realized those elements in the last two or three years of my corporate career, those elements dwindled to a very small amount of my time. I was spending more time in meetings dealing with politics. We were outsourcing. It took three years to outsource a department of 650 people. And if you can imagine the environment for three years where people didn't know whether they were going to have a job, what their job was going to be, who they were going to be with, whether they were going to get any redundancy, all that kind of uncertainty for that period of time. Um, It was just an immense pressurized time. Um so yeah, that lay by was um was was interestingly a physical part of my path every day, but it's something I look back on now and think, um, that was kind of where I started to build the space to see what I really wanted to do, what I really enjoyed doing, um, what I got something out of and what seemed to make others, you know, what seemed to help others as well. Um so from a very selfish perspective, I suppose, but uh, you know, a self-reflective perspective i I don't look back on that lay by with oh that was where the stress came out but that was where i started to create a bit of space so that i could see the path the path was no longer constrained by a big corporate entity where you had to deal with policies and procedures that just didn't work and you know we you know that whole outsourcing deal came from a perspective of not adding value but a, a cost saving exercise you know it was all for the wrong reasons um and didn't add any value, didn't save costs in the long run. Um and just that frustration of impacting people for something that's not going to make any difference.
0: Yeah. And suddenly indeed. I thought,
1: you know what, I don't want to do that. If, you know, people are impacted every day by the decisions that are made around them, by the decisions they made. What would happen if I could help those individuals and what I've led on to is help those teams have an impact that actually matters. Um, and that was kind of I wasn't doing that. And I realized it's time for me to do that. And I, once I can do that, then I can help others do that more. i have kind of done that through my career, but over time that kind of it got lost. I got squashed by all the politics, all the, all the classic corporate rubbish. I'll say mm. to keep this PG rated, um, but all that corporate rubbish, but there was some good stuff. All the people, all the kind of, you know, stuff I learned in that period. So yeah the CD element of getting to that point, but actually, you know, those moments um, where I had the space to see what it was I really enjoyed, that's kind of what's led me. So, yeah, I like the lay-by story because it scares people, but actually it's kind of, you know, when you have those moments, when you have that space to actually see what's really going on, um, you can make some interesting and quite often quite exciting decisions, scary stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. I've You know, I've come across other people who've um, had uh, – I guess you might call them of breakdowns. And often they, when they're driving back from work or whatever, and they've had to pull over. And one of my good friends who was like a senior HR person uh, had a complete breakdown driving back, you know, to pull over and basically um, just had a breakdown. It was interesting to hear you say that. There's a couple of things like, um i would pick up and then I've got a, a, a question or two as well, I guess. But um, the, it was interesting what you said about I, I thought it was very honest of you as well. It's good to get the ego out of the way when you're saying you're not as clever as some of the other tech people. I was in technology. Uh, my career started in technology before yours, Colin. I've got a few <laughs> years on you. And um, I remember starting to go down the path of leading people more. And my, my boss said then, um, make sure you really want to do this and you want to leave the technical stuff behind. And I did. And it was it was great, actually. And I was very lucky. I was at experience, and they did invest a lot in my development. Um, but like yourself, in a way, I always remember. It's always interesting you talk about the labour. I always remember. You always remember sort of key points, and I remember I'd got a team of thirty in the business. I was out of technology by this time, and um, there's an incredible amount of pressure, and less people being expected to do more. And I had two of my account management team in tears in the toilet. They came out, and I thought. I'm not sure this is a kind of culture where I want to lead people anymore, and that was a big sort of crystallisation, yeah, for me. So I can, I can relate to what you're saying, and I think it's interesting as well. You made a couple of points about that focusing on the bad stuff, and then the you starting to look at the good stuff. Because I think our, I often talk about this, but I think our psyche can very quickly latch onto the bad stuff. That's I think we're we're finely tuned to do that, and it's good that you started to make almost conscious choices to see the good stuff about what you were doing and then what you could build on from that, I guess. And, um, you know, and then that moving away from the politics of big organisations and and looking at what really matters in terms of teams. Do you find that in your sort of thinking and work now that, well, I was going to say, does bureaucracy and politics getting in the way of um, teams being effective and, you know, with, with the with the conversations and the work you're starting to do with organisations now as well. Um, do you see that? I guess maybe you see that challenge more clearly from standing back from it or guess, how does that manifest these days? It
1: it's definitely exists, the kind of concept of policies and procedures and, Usually those things start with best intent. You know, oh, this will help guide others. And we kind of miss the point of, so coming from an IT um, environment, what's usually prized is logic, is analytical ability. Being able to connect dots and draw um, conclusions from patterns and that kind of stuff. And there is absolutely value in that. What tends to get missed is the emotional side of things. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Emotion usually plays a strong part in it. When you ask somebody, you know, what was the best job you ever had? Rarely do they say, if at all, oh, well, there was very clear procedures and policies. And, you know, I was paid a good amount. And this, what they talk about is, "Ah, oh, we did this and we did that. And I felt amazing. And, the, you know, the, the laugh we had and the stuff we got done and the way I felt, that's how you talk about the best job that's also how you talk about the worst job I don't talk about you know I did talk about there the you know the, the outsourcing but I talked about how it made me feel yeah yeah. You know, when I talk about it it's like we, we weren't listened to we were overruled there was lots of arguing there was lots of ignoring stuff and just felt small and just felt you know that's how you felt is what matters and we get it the wrong way around policies and procedures should Encourage us to discuss the emotion. They should encourage us to explore the emotion. They should encourage us to 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 lean into the emotion. And they're not. They're usually used to to push that to one side. Yes. A lot of HR policies are don't bring the emotion into it. You know, if you've done this and you've done this and you've done this, then you're safe. You know, you're protected. Well, actually, life is messy. People are messy. People are complicated. Definitely you need a conversation and you need it's not that you shouldn't be blase about it you shouldn't you know not do any prep not think about it but actually you need to accept that the value will come out of a conversation um so it's that balance i'm a bit of a because i've been in the it world i'm a bit of an agile um enthusiast so the concept of small and often, of iterating, of improving, rather than seeking perfection and big bang and all that kind of stuff. But one of the key principles behind a lot of the a lot of the processes that are in an agile methodology. So people are familiar with it will be familiar with concepts such as daily stand-ups and scrums and that kind of stuff. And what's quite often missed in those is the whole point of that structure is to elicit a conversation because it's where the in the conversation that there's magic. Not in the we stand up at nine o'clock every day and we answer these three questions. It's what is it about the answers to those questions that makes you curious, that you're interested in, or you're confused about? Have a conversation about that. And so there is a place for for a some type of process, some type of structure, rituals, practices, but they're there to support and encourage better, more useful. uh, inspection, investigation, curiosity of emotion. Um, So, yeah, you hit, I hit that a lot. Well, it takes us, I I did some work for a government department and they could get, they they had flash monitors on the wall that, you know, would sync to their laptops and all that kind of stuff, very high tech. To get post-its was a nightmare, absolute nightmare of procedure and sign-offs and stuff to get post-its. And they needed post-its because they wanted to work tactically on whiteboards with this kind of stuff. So they were kind of, you'd walk in and go, well, this is great. And I'm like, mean we can't get post-its to work over here. So what really mattered was getting something tactile that they could engage with and, and share and talk about and create a conversation. And they couldn't get it yet. Yeah, they had all this flash kit and it's yeah. kind of, we, we, we miss what matters and what matters is the emotion. And it's I, so, yeah.
0: I love that. I mean, I think, yeah, I really love that. I think that, um, I, I often say uh, people are, uh, to a degree, predictable, but to a certain, a certain degree, strong degree, very unpredictable and complex. Like you were saying, and I think that notion there, Colin, of having process systems, bureaucracy, if you want to call it whatever, in place. But to serve, encourage, bring out the human element of it as well. And, you know, and that is that's such a great point, really, because I think the human element can get lost in that, you know, introducing new systems, whatever. Um, you know, there's too much focus on the logic and process and not enough thinking about how people will engage with that, how it, what it will mean for them, what what it will, what we do to the culture of the team of the organization. I, I really love that. And, you talking about um, agile as well? There, there will be people on the on, on the call listening to this that are, are, you know know of agile, but that idea of doing things, reflecting, getting feedback, improving, or whatever. I think it's um. I, I think agile comes from the software world, but it's got so many ways it can be applied. You know, I've been talking to two or three leaders of late about putting in new meetings. And I said, prototype them, use an agile type philosophy. Don't think you've got to totally think through what the meeting looks like. Put it out there, get feedback, change the shape of it. Keep doing that. I think often with meetings, they can take so much time away from people and people feel almost demotivated by meetings because they don't see the point of them. And I think getting people's input to them and changing them and letting them evolve is, is, is really critical so i love that you know i think already a big takeaway for anyone listening to this i think is process important but don't lose sight of the fact that it actually should be there to support uh, enable encourage the the human element of what's going on as well really really love that and And it leads leads me on to a were you going to sorry colin were you going to say i was going
1: to say just where that can take you is some really cool places i'll give detail but the thing that that brings in is the human element is contextual We're not the same human. I'm not the same human as I was at age 16, thank God, or 21 or 30 or or even, you know, three days ago. And, you know, you talk about meetings as an example. You'll see even with Agile, well, we've got this set way of having our standups. Is that still working? Is that kind of 10 minutes a day still working? And is it working? You might need to do something, you know, when we shifted to remote working through pandemic. People still kept to those structures. Well, you might need to change to it. People might be experiencing different stuff. When I had my first child, um, my life was radically different and my thought processes were different for a period of time. So adapting to what's going on externally is important. So context is really important with these things and context changes. And that's why I love Agile is because if you've got it right – you're not just listening to the internal stuff; you're listening to the external stuff as well. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. just going to add on there that context in the human thing. We're not the same human today that we were yesterday, and we won't be tomorrow. And that keeps you keeps you on your toes. It keeps it interesting. It keeps it excited. Keeps it scary, and sometimes it's frustrating. But it's going to be that anyway. So you might as well do it within You might as well lean into that with intent and get through it, and and come out in a better place. So. Yeah, Yeah. just context. Don't forget the context bit.
0: Love it. I'm glad you added that on because I think it's such a great point. And I often talk, um, I know I'm I'm more leadership and you're more teamship and we'll probably have a bit of a debate as always as we go through this. But that, that element of context, I often talk to leaders about, one size doesn't fit all as a leader and that a leader should be adjusting their style um, all the time to suit the person and the time and the context and what have you. So I really love that. And you put it out into a much broader sense there. And I think so many organisations get it wrong by just carrying on doing something, whether it's meetings or whatever it is, services, products, whatever it might be that have just lost their place now in terms of um, when you put it into the current context. And so it's, that's a hugely great point, really, Colin. Um, I wanted to broaden out now and just ask you, you started to touch on some things already there, but what about your, the things that matter most to you, when you start to look at teams and getting the best at teams and team performance, what are the Big core philosophies for you. Then, what, what's at the heart of what you talk about?
1: So, one of, if not the key thing. So, there's lots of stuff like people matter; those kind of you know sound bites that are really important. But the, the key core philosophy at the heart of it is creating a team spirit that matters. Is one that values. So here's here's some IT stuff creeping in again. Is one that values <laughs> root cause over symptoms. We only ever really see symptoms. In IT terms, we see bugs. In people terms, we see what they do. We see somebody going home early again and again and again. We see somebody coming in late. We see somebody on Facebook in in the office. You know, we we see symptoms of things. We've got to want to go beyond those symptoms. We've got to go to a point where we want to understand what's beyond that. Instead of, we talked about policies, instead of, policies about how to deal with poor performance how about we how do we connect with our team so we all know how to support each other at different times at, at different times how, how do we know that how do we get better at listening at seeing at observing at being curious of asking questions of leaning in and leaning out when we need to um, instead of uh dealing with absence you know how many companies have got policy an absence policy how about we commit time to exploring why everyone's doing the job they're, they're doing, what it what it means to them, and what's their, what's getting in their way of doing it? Because if there's an absence problem that's kind of work related, something's in their way of doing something they want to do. But we don't we treat the symptom, which is they're not at work. How do we get them back into work? Yeah, no, and we've got to get deeper than that.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. You know, funny enough, I was having a conversation with a leader who'd got some challenges with um, his team last week. And um, we were talking about some of the symptomatic stuff. And I went, one of my questions for him to go away and reflect on was what's really going on. What's really led you to this place. Um, so I love, I love that. And I, I, I don't know though, Colin, do you think that the reason sometimes that organisations, leaders avoid looking at the root causes because it's too challenging, too scary, almost to start asking those questions too big a deal to, to, you know, to handle I, What do, do you think that's going on as well?
1: One of the most common things that comes up is, well, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's too hard or it's too risky to get into that. What if it, you know, reveals something that I don't know how to help them with, or what if it reveals something that everybody else will want a part of that? If, if you know, if, if I give them that, it'll it'll make it harder. And when I sit there and say, so, how's it going at the moment? Oh, it's really hard. It's really hard dealing with all this absence and, you know, it's really hard with the lack of productivity and it's really hard to see my team struggling. Okay. So it's already hard. It's already hard. It's hard. Not doing it in that way. It's hard. Ignoring these things. It's hard being unsure about how to deal with these things. We, we think that kind of ignorance is bliss and it's not, it's yeah, still yeah. hard. It plays that physical response. I had in the lay by, a big part of that was me not turning to my team when, you know, when some of the most pressured times I was under and we were all under, I I kept it to myself. I went, this da- I don't want to share this darkness because they've already got their own stuff. I'll keep it for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that made it really hard. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't, I was making it really hard. And my body knew way before my mind did the body always knows way before your mind does. So it's already hard.
0: Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I you're like just that.
1: seeing it in a different way. You yeah. know, on a really fun, you know, on a personal level, you know, that kind of, well, I need to do something about my job. Oh, I can't be, oh, you know, it's too hard. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm, going to, I'm just going to crash in front of Netflix and I'll just enjoy myself watching TV. What happens when you do that is your subconscious is sat there going, you probably should have had that. You, you need to be thinking about what you need to do for your job. You need to be thinking about it. So you don't enjoy what you're watching. And when you finish watching it, you come off going, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd used that time to do something more productive. So, again, you don't enjoy the thing you think is going to be easy. That's hard as well. You're making the good stuff hard. Yeah. So finding ways to say, what's what's the best thing I can do here? Oh, it's hard. Well, actually not doing that is hard anyway, so I might as well try and do something. doesn't mean you don't need to think it through. Think about consequences, maybe gain some new skills, maybe train, maybe ask for support, maybe ask for help. That's all stuff that can make it easier. But life is hard anyway. Life is pretty much always hard. Even the good stuff, it's still challenging. It still pushes you.
0: takes effort. Yeah, it takes effort. takes
1: effort. So you might as well expel that effort, expend that effort in a direction that may be of more use, which is a bit Mm -hmm. abstract, um, which is kind of theoretical and, and, and good, but you know, how many times do we have put off and put off and put off a conversation? And then when we have the conversation, we go, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I think that can be in personal relationship if you handle it right. I think it's that, um, I like that phrase, ignorance is not bliss. And, <laughs> uh, and actually, you know, avoid, avoiding the hard stuff, it can make things even harder. You know, I think those are, those are two important philosophies there.
1: Um really important point. You talked about that example with the... Um, person you were chatting to about um, what, you know, what's really going on. And I think there's sometimes you see this in organisations, in leaders, in teams of what if they say something, I can see something's going on, but what if I say something and, you know, it's huge. Actually, sometimes you just need to just find a bit of what's going on. You just need to ask a question, get to the next level of what's going on, kind of seek a bit more truth, get a bit more truth. Get precise about that. Do something. Explore that. Listen to that. Then go round again. Yeah. Ask another question. See what else is going on. Check in a, a few days later. Yeah. Get a bit more truth. Go a bit deeper. Do something, or listen, or, 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 or talk about something, and then go again. Again, this kind of agile. We're all going to sit down and I want to know why you do this job, what's driving you, what your purpose is. I want you to write a 10-page thesis on it so we can all talk about it. We can all understand it. I'm not even sure even now with all the skills or the experience I've got of seeking out my why, if you like, that I could sit down and articulate it brilliantly every single time to a different audience I can talk about bits of it but every time I talk about it something new comes up every time somebody asks me a question something new comes up and I think part of living as a team is you're not living as a team sit down have a meeting and great you're now a fully cohesive bonded great team off you go you've done an away day you've done it you've had a yoga expert come in you've built a raft you've you've played with some lego brilliant tick you're a good team off you go (laughs) Although I meet a lot of organizations that think that's how it is. Yeah. It's just how do you constantly keep exploring the truth? How do you get to the next level of detail about the truth? How do you involve everybody? So, you know, just to be a bit cheesy and cheeky, one of my core, the core framework I use for my philosophy is seek the truth, be precise about that truth, precision about that truth, involve everybody in the discussion about it, even if they're not, Producing solutions, involve the whole team, because you yeah, yeah, yeah. and then repeat and do that again. And underpinning that are two kind of principles that are ignored by a lot of organizations, which are intimacy, you know, that emotional element and and trust. Trust is a little bit misunderstood. Um, but if you take those together, I'll, I'll go into trust later, but if you take seek the truth, precision, Involve everybody, repeat, intimacy and trust. You coincidentally get the word spirit. Um, And that kind of principle of that iterative principle underpinned by emotion, that is how you build a team and continue to build a team. When people move on, when new people come in, when circumstances change, that's how you keep the team spirit alive and keep it going and keep it growing.
0: Yeah, I like, I like your use of the word involvement in a way that is a shift from engagement. I mean, everyone talks about engagement. I think, again, the problem with engagement can be, um, you, I don't know, you give, you develop a strategy and you share it with people and you feel you've engaged them. Um, I think involvement for me is a deeper word and I like that. So, um, I might I might steal that off you a bit in in the future, Colin. I like the involvement word anyway. But
1: did you? I want remember to- I remember working with a company that said, "Yeah, we know our team is engaged with our strategy." How do you know? Well, because they've all done an online thing where the strategy was revealed to them, and we've tracked how many people have done it, and we've got ninety seven percent or whatever of people that have done the online thing. So they, they're engaged with the strategy, and it was kind of as they said it to me. I mean, they kind of beat me to the punch. I went, "Yeah, okay." Actually, as we're saying that out loud. <laughs> as we're using that word engaged in the strategy what that means is ninety seven percent of your people have sat through an online thing where your strategy was explained to them that's what that's all that means that's all that means
0: yeah so yeah um,
1: engage yeah. so many words become overused by the industry didn't they you kind
0: right. of and people pay, can pay lip service to yes yeah. I guess but yeah share share a couple of other you know sort of philosophies and I particularly want you to talk about your view on leadership as well as you go through <laughs> but yeah we share a couple of, of your of your other sort of driving philosophies about teens and
1: so leadership leadership is an interesting one because I you know when I look back I see that my jobs have been as a leader you know head of this leader's been in the job title you know he's kind of this is somebody whose job it is to use the skill of leadership to get more out of their team, to help their team. Yeah. Um, what I kind of realized over the last few years is what we've done is associate the skill of leadership with people with a certain job title. Yep. We kind of, you either have to have the job title or you have to be aspiring to the job title. We spend a fortune, an absolute fortune on leadership training across the UK, across the US, Europe, and various other parts of the country, a significant proportion of um, training and development, I think it's around, depends whose numbers you use, but take the US, for example, I think it's around 25% of L&D budgets is on leadership. And that's spent on around 5 to 10% of people. We're spending 25% of our available training budget on 5 to 10% of the people. And yet, we're not necessarily getting a good return from that. When you look at absence, when you look at, you know, stats for uh, the amount of money, the amount of impact, wellness, mental health, all those kind of things. We look at recruitment costs, people moving on the great resignation, clearly not getting a a return on that. And that doesn't mean that what we're training is wrong, that the principles of a lot of particularly the modern leadership, um, management 3.0, servant leadership, all those kind of things. I love that kind of concept. Maybe we should be expanding who we are talk to about leadership expanding who we open up to leadership and giving them the opportunity to use the skills that are in leadership which are, you know how do you support people encourage people observe how do you coach how do you listen differently how do you communicate how do you adapt styles that's leadership is all that kind of stuff helping people feel safe helping people grow what if we open that skill up to the whole team yeah, nothing to shift that mentality. It's not just, you know, well, oh, the boss deals with performance reviews. The boss is the one who deals with people who are late. The boss is somebody who deals with that. What if we started saying, well, I'm a bit, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing there's a different dynamic going on in the tier. I wonder what I can do to either to understand that and then either shape it, steer it, support it or help push, put it in a different direction. What can I do as a member of the team to do that? As opposed to that's not my job.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. And I think it's, um, you know, widens out. And I know you you believe this is things like strategy, culture, innovation, decision making then start to become a team responsibility rather than um, a leader's, solely a leader's responsibility. And I I think I mentioned a book to you before called Leadership is Language, which I really like. Which talks a lot about red and blue workers but uh, and and that old fashioned view of blue workers being the leaders at the top make decisions, red workers get stuff done and it, and in there and funnily enough, they use the agile approach in that book as well, but it is about um bringing that because the people who are doing the doing are at the coal face and interacting with clients or whatever they they 're really the ones with a lot more in depth knowledge of what 's going on and <clears throat> um, but sometimes. We can choose to um, not make not make the best of that. So I, I like I know you and I have I I'm, I guess for me um, I I buy into a lot of what you say, Colin. It's, I guess for me, the leader can be the starting point for a lot of this. You know, it can be the trigger for these discussions, getting this this done. I, I think you're I think your ultimate sort of I like, well we'll talk later about your ultimate ideal but I guess it's having the team all of this something I sort of in, a, in essence coming from the team for me I, I think good leaders uh, still may be needed at the moment to bring some of this out in teams but yeah
1: it's it, you know, you're it will be very hard for an organization to jump to a flat structure where everybody shares responsibility chooses ownership depending on the context and all that kind of stuff but ultimately yeah having Another word for leader is catalyst for me um you know kind of oh, I can see an opportunity now we kind of a lot of leaders we give the space to see these things, to think about these things, but actually, I think you can you can encourage your team to start to create space themselves to see these things, and they usually sat on it going, "I've got an idea, or I can see somewhere where we could be better. They just don't know how to articulate that, and the leader can help or but you see it a lot you know again and I apologize to non-agile people out there, but you know the, the role of scrum master in a lot of agile teams is exactly that, is to spot opportunities, spot where things are struggling, to coach people beyond the current problems they're having. And that's not a leadership role, but it does get tied into leadership. Well, I'm a project leader and scrum master because up hierarchical organizations can't cope with the idea of somebody having power over people and not having a leadership role. It's very confusing. So, yeah, I'm with you. I totally agree that we need to build towards that. But i just, uh, there's something, imagine a team of contextual catalysts. So I've worked with teams where, you know, there's a time when actually the senior architect has the blend of knowledge and emotional aptitude and maturity and skills to lead on something specific rather than the boss. And then the other times when a business analyst, other times when a tester because of their combination of unique skills and experiences, that is they're in the right place at the right time to offer up the right leadership opportunity. And I think it's a good leader will encourage that and support it, but over time, a good team will also encourage and support that itself. Yeah. I I totally agree that uh, so many organisations aren't ready, but it's also about breaking that conditioning where you must have this job title to do this. Well, yeah, yeah. So that. And um, there's a really good story I've talked about later, but there's a really good story that encapsulates that for me.
0: OK, yeah. Well, a question I was going to ask you later, but I'm going to ask it now because it feels pertinent. <laughs> um, what do you think the future of teams looks like? Then You know, I mean, there's already the last two years we've seen some dramatic changes forced on us but it's brought about change change. and, you know, you talked, I mean, there's obviously now there's remote working, hybrid working, there's the great resignation going on all that kind of thing. What do you, you, I guess you've started to touch on it, but what do you see, the if we were to cast our uh, crystal ball forward sort of 10 years or so, what what do you think teams are going to look like, Cole?
1: So just to to take that logistical bit first, in terms of physical looking, um, I think they'll work from, anywhere i think we will have forgotten terms like work from home work from the office even remote working and hybrid working. and it will simply be work from where is the best place to work right then i've worked in my office at home i've worked in an office building i've worked in a cafe i've worked at a friend's kitchen table i've worked in the car park of a tesco's when it was convenient to do an hour's call when i've done some reading when i've done some blog posts or whatever I've done different things I've met with with members of teams in coffee shops I've met with them at conference centers I've met with them um in restaurants I've met with them at sports halls um just because you know a couple of them were going to play five side football afterwards and so that's not far from us why don't we meet there for an hour beforehand? you know that kind of remote working I know people who are digital the digital nomad concept who do workshops from a camper van um as a married couple so that I think all those kind of barriers to, you know, where's the best place for us to work and we'll put as much effort into working effectively that way as we do in the office. We put a lot of effort in the office. Have we got enough meeting rooms? Have we got enough space for a whiteboard? Have we got have we got natural light? We put effort into that. Yet for some reason, we think we don't have to put effort into working in different ways. You still have to put effort into it. You still have to make sure, are we talking as regular as we need to? Are we talking about the right things? Is there an opportunity for us to do something different to Zoom and maybe do something over something that's more interactive or do something on a, on a, on a gaming app that actually we just interact in a different way? You still put effort into it. So this kind of – we'll be putting effort into this kind of just physical way of working that is very different. Um And I hope, I really hope that's not just, you know – there's so much going on in the world. You know, we were getting more international. I've got clients in the US, in India, in, in Australia, um, and I just hope that continues. That doesn't. We don't become smaller as a result of some of the things that are going on globally. That we actually continue that um, that amazing way of working across any kind of line, whether it be a country line, or political line, or religious, whatever. We just continue that.
0: I, I think that's a great notion. I mean, I um, I was going to ask talk to you in a moment about survival psychology which is a big thing for me but i think one of the more negative connotations of survival psychology is that sort of i guess silo mentality or people that us awesome and them kind of thing and i think you're right you know i think part of that move to global i mean i've worked with clients in saudi arabia malaysia dubai switzerland and i think we all learn more from that and it breaks down barriers a bit in a, in a good way so i think you're right so yeah okay so from a functional angle you know you talked about working anywhere continuing the sort of global movement um what else do you think
1: so from an, an, an emotional angle then let's go back to what i was talking about earlier there's um there is, this is a strange story because it doesn't go where you think there is a u.s soldier called uh, floyd lees now he's not your normal soldier he actually works in the metal um and he's toured as they do, he's taught Iraq, Afghanistan, some of the hardest combat zones um, in the Western world, mainly. Um, now, his job is to prepare food for soldiers. That's his job description. And the army sees food as fuel. That's what it is. It's there to get the soldiers out on patrol, out on whatever it is they're doing. It's fuel for their bodies. <laughs> he started to do some different things with the food. He started to do things, simple things like out of all the fresh fruit that they get, he would pick he would sift through the food. He, he would take the best fruit and put that in a fruit cocktail rather than just putting fruit in a fruit cocktail and giving it to the soldiers. He would take the best fruit, the, the fruit that wasn't quite as much. He would make pies from that. He would do different things with the different types of fruit. He would marinate the meat the night before rather than just cooking it on the day, which was what most of them did. He used the same ingredients that every other Member of the U.S. Army had, and he started to do different things with them to make it more interesting, more enjoyable. And when he was kind, of, when he kind of asked why, he said, "Well, my job is to improve them around. That's my job, not to feed the troops. My job is to improve them around." Now he he still did he did that through his job. He didn't do a different job. He didn't say, "Right, I want to do something for the team, and I'm going to spend six weeks doing something completely different that's not my job." He still did what he was paid to do. He took orders, (laughs) took in deliveries, um, prepared food, cut food, chopped food, boiled food. He did all the things in his job description. But he looked beyond that and said, actually, the thing that will benefit the team, the thing that will benefit, and is within my power, is to help improve their morale. And his kitchen has become renowned among the soldiers love going to it. They talk about it. He actually got, other people other soldiers other members of the mess hall when they were on tours they would start looking for local ingredients they would start bringing in local spices to him to to help so he kind of got others encouraged and bought into helping the team be better that wasn't his job that wasn't his rank he didn't have the rank of captain or platoon leader um that was his job he he started a movement where morale became the responsibility of the team not just someone with a specific rank or
0: job title. And I love that because that's, um, I guess, about different interpretations on meaning. You were talking about that earlier, weren't you? Call about the why, the, the meaning, and the purpose, and what have you. And his view on what he was doing was, you, you described it as improving morale rather than feeding troops. And and that will change his outlook and his view on what he's doing as well. And, uh, I'm not surprised to hear you talking about food because I know how passionate you <laughs> are about food you and. I was watching the Stanley Tucci program last night oh, yeah. thinking about you because I know you love that series, but yeah, but that, that shift, and I guess that's good. He did that on his, on his own in a way, that shifting of seeing his purpose. But again, and, and, you know, excuse me for talking about leaders again, but good leaders can help people see things differently as well and see the meaning in what they do differently. And sometimes people do need to help to see that what they're doing is. It's not maybe as functional, but it's got a, a greater purpose, a, a bigger yeah. meaning, really. I love that story. I think it's. I
1: think Floyd Lees is a great example of leadership. It's a fantastic example of, you know, and it, for me, it's the single most powerful image of a future team is one without job titles.
0: Yeah. OK. And that so that you. Th- and do you. OK, then do you think that is a reality. Do you, again, you said in 10 years, people will be working wherever, um, global sort of boundaries will continue to be broken down more. Um, do, you, do you think that, a little, well, I, I guess not everybody, do you think a lot of companies will be getting to that place where there aren't job titles? And
1: I think if the world is getting, so we talked earlier about people being messy and complicated, but the world is getting messier. The world is getting bigger, faster. Um, the sheer volume of people and uh, you know is just immense now, and so we are going to have to do things quicker, faster, better than we've ever done before. And we can't keep doing that the same way we've done it before. We've got to look at different ways of doing it. And for me, that means living differently—not just in a team, but you know, you look at families. You know, or you're the—you know—the idea now of dad and mum is kind of very different. there can be. Two dads, two mums, two two, definitions of things that aren't what they used to be. And you know, we were talking. We were talking about the weekend and my my half sister, but I don't think of her like that. You know, even things like step parents and stuff. Everything is so different, and we kind of we still put meaning on those titles. And actually, people take different roles in a family at different times. There are times when a sibling steps up and does almost a parental role. As people get older and stuff or younger in the different times, you see so many families now that are struggling where the kids are doing a parental role, going out and earning money and looking after their parents. Well, they shouldn't have to do that, but they do that because they need to adapt. And that kind of job title in a family is is starting to disappear. That doesn't mean we don't we no longer value the family. We value the roles and doing that. We just shift who does it, how they do it, when they do it, as needs take us. And what would be nice is to do that because that helps, not because we have to. And if we can do that because that makes us better, then that that can only be a good thing in my eyes. And that's great, yeah. It feels like it's a long way off, but sometimes when you sit back and go, you know what, actually, I can see shoots of that in the way we are starting to think. Yeah. Those people that think more collaborative, that want to be closer, that want more understanding. Yes, there's still a lot of divisiveness in the world, um, that's what's going to hold us back.
0: Yeah, no, good word. That, that co- collaboration again, which can be paid lip service to. But and I like I like the way you've gone off into family units and the way that they can collaborate and different people step up and, and the complexity of that. As you say, I think that's in, important. Okay, we have got. A, 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 I, I thought it would. I thought you and I would. Um, Take some time to, I think it's going to be, I think it's probably going to be my longest podcast interview, but I won't be surprised to be either of us. Um, but I've got a couple of questions for yeah, you before we finish today. Um, I, I'm fascinated by survival psychology and you and I have chatted about it a little bit before, Colin. But um I guess for me, just a couple of quick ways in which that can impact on teams is the ego. And that can be the ego of the leader, but it can be the ego of individuals and how that might play out. But also, as I was saying earlier, um that sort of silo mentality that can creep in the barriers and what have you what do you take from the term survival psychology and where do you see it impacting on team dynamics and team relationships
1: i think it's that so again going back to what i said earlier i think survival sometimes is about focusing on those symptoms i must put this fire out i must deal with this immediate pain um and then i can do something there's an element of putting off stuff with survival um because what you need right now feels more important and sometimes it is you know if 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 you've um, nicked a nerve and you, you know, your blood is releasing your body yes you need to deal with that why yeah, you yeah, nicked yeah. the nerve where that knife came from where that sharp thing came from you can deal with later but right there and then you need to stem stem the wound um, to use a clumsy um, medical analogy, but being able to tell the difference between those that that, that feeling where it feels like i 've nicked a nerve um you know it feels that feels really bad, but actually is it is it the the worst thing right now yeah, yeah, and a lot of organizations again getting into classic terminology, the kind of important stuff becomes urgent and actually urgency can overall importance the importance of stuff and actually stepping back and going why are we still doing this stuff oh because we had to we had to we had to but do we still have to yeah um so it's kind of and again context is really important in survival stuff um recognizing that what is important for one person might not be important for somebody else what was important for that person at one point may no longer be important for somebody else. There's a friend of mine who works with the police, and he remembers, you know, he does a lot of work with the police. um, And they'll do things like, oh, well, you know, this member of this team is really good with people, really enjoys going out on the front line, and actually gets some meaning out of spending time with people, even in the worst circumstances. when, When she can help these families, even if it's delivering bad news, and she can support them through it, she really gets something out of that. The rest of us don't. So she she she'll do that. She enjoys it. But actually, there were times when she was like, I, I need I need a break. This is, you know, whilst this was good for me. Now it's turned into a survival thing. I've got to do it because nobody else wants to do, to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And that was getting to her. So, again, just shifting that that context and recognizing what was survival at some point. And what was good for you may have become survival and just recognizing that, Um yeah. Helping lift people out of the job um, and getting <sighs> talking about your why has is a good thing, but again, it's become a bit saturated. Know your why. Okay. And most people, you know, I talk to a lot of teens, and the first thing they'll say is, uh, why'd you do this job? Uh for my kids. And there's nothing wrong with that response, but what's beneath that response? What why do you do it for your kids? What do you mean? Why do you do a few kids? Well, because I want them to be healthy and happy and now, you know, I want to spend time with them. Okay, why? What do you mean, why? That's a good thing, isn't it? And you can see they've not thought about it beyond that. What is it about spending there are times I don't want to spend time with my kids. I love my kids to, to pieces. And there's plenty of times I do, but there are times I don't. And just what is it that's behind that? What's the meaning behind that? How do you get a bit deeper than that? And how do you, what impact is that having on, on them, on the world, on you? And just getting into, into real meaning and impact rather than just stopping at what? And survival misses that. Absolutely. You need to look beyond that and that kind of hopeful, optimistic, specific and contextual to every individual. What's important to me will be different to what's important to you. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the problem can be that a lot of survival thinking and reacting in that kind of way can be uh almost unconscious and physiological first. And, and before we know it, we've been sort of, hi- I, I used the word hijack a lot because I think we can yeah. be hijacked. And I liked what you said about um looking at people looking at urgency over importance. And I think survival thinking can drive that a lot. And I'm reading a great book at the minute. Uh, I think it's called Your Survival Thinking is Killing You. <laughs> but one of, one of the notions in the book though is that, um, in modern day life, we become way too uncomfortable with being with discomfort. And that means that, um, things that are actually only marginally or in a small way, uh, providing sort of discomfort, we just magnify them and, uh, and react to them. And that can obviously happen. In organizations as well, where you know there's that quick reaction to where we think we're bleeding, like you using that analogy earlier, but there's actually, you know, it's that's not really happening. And um it is that important piece of being able to stand back from things and as you say, ask bigger questions and go deeper and say, Is is this that bigger problem? Or have we even defined the nature of the problem properly and, and those kind of things? Colin, I guess, that um, that comes out with all of that,
1: really. The skill of triaging seems to have disappeared a fair amount, doesn't it? And I think it's probably an old-fashioned term, but I think there's something in that. You said it brilliantly, just stepping back. And some of it, survival thinking, is feeling like you can step back. Sometimes even that idea of, well, if I take a moment, if I take it even half an hour for lunch, um but actually that is where the magic happens yeah an analogy i use quite often is when you're cycling on when you're on a bike and you're pedaling uphill and you want to get to the top of the hill it's really hard to get off the bike because you're moving because i can i'm making progress i'm moving towards the top of the hill it might seem like a long way away but i'm moving but actually if you take a moment to get off the bike you might notice there's a car over there and that car actually that i was doing it off road there's a there's a well actually there's a road over there and there's a there's a road bike i was doing it on a mountain bike up a trail and there's a road bike that'd be a bit easier than what i was doing but you wouldn't have spotted that unless you get off the bike but you've got to recognize the feeling of you moving towards the top of the hill that's what's stopping you getting off not the fact that you're getting close to the it's that feeling of oh, i'm making my legs are going round. if i stop it's hard to get going again Well, it might be but actually you might see a better way of doing it and the chances are you will see a better way of doing it and if nothing else at least you'll have rested your legs
0: yeah yeah no it's brilliant it's almost that feeling of making progress is stopping you from making the progress you could make
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: That's absolutely so a long way
1: but a b- better progress yeah yeah brilliant. but i
0: think you've really touched on something uh good there because i think it is that notion of in in our in our terms today, you know, leaders, teams, focusing on doing the do, and almost feeling that they can't stop that because that's so critical. But actually, stopping that is possibly the most important thing they could do. And and, and again, I know you love the concept of agile, but that brings back that back into me for me because that is that pause, reflect you know change direction whatever it is you know um so yeah brilliant thank you for sharing that so I've got a couple of final questions before we finish um first question is do you ever go back to that lay by and spend a bit of time there? <laughs> uh,
1: I pass it quite often because it's not far from our house so I do pass it quite a lot and I have a little smile I have a little moment quite often when I pass it I haven't stopped in it for a while but yeah I do pass it quite regularly um I have to go pass it my to, to pick my daughter up from college every now and then so yeah still pass it
0: be interesting yeah. to stop there for a while again wouldn't it and just yeah it's good. It's good. what it brings I might do
1: that. yeah i might do that um i might do that No, me i'll end up getting out and picking up some of the litter because i did that a few times <laughs> um bit yeah, of truck has stopped but um but yeah not stopped yeah good good shout i might do that
0: yeah it'd be interesting you have to share that with me at the time what happened okay and then one final thing before we finish today. Um, I've loved it. You know, you and I have got to know each other and uh, we always have fascinating discussions and what have you. I think we're on, although I, I come at it from a lead leadership angle and you come at it from a teamshipship angle, I think you and I, there's a hell of a lot of crossover in our philosophies and what we, what we believe and our values and stuff. So it's all good. Um, so for people who are listening to this, um, where is the best place for them to go to find out? More about you to connect with you, Colin. Where's Where's the best place to direct them to?
1: The, the best place is LinkedIn. That's where I have most of my conversations. That's where I talk a lot about this stuff. That's where other people join in that conversation. So, in terms of connecting, um, in, in getting involved, let's go back to that word of getting involved with me. In this kind of conversation, then LinkedIn, yeah, just look for Colin Moby um, or the hashtag TeamShip or the hashtag team spirit. You'll find most of my stuff under there. And I make no apologies for the odd post about Batman or the Avengers. <laughs> um, but there's also my website, colinmoby.com, um, the, the slash TeamShip on that. So that'll be at the top uh, in the menu. The TeamShip yep. element will give you some ideas about how to okay. work with me or connect with me in, in different ways as well. But, um, yeah, LinkedIn is where I, is where I hang out the most in terms of, I don't do other social media. LinkedIn's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I see you a lot on LinkedIn, obviously. And, um, for, you know, for people listening today, uh, you're always posting interesting stuff and, and very frequently that people can look into and also find out about, um, some of the free sessions that you do to, to go even deeper. So LinkedIn and com will be the best places to, uh, to go to really to find out more. Hey, it's been brilliant. Uh, thank you so much for, for sparing your time. It's been a, a we could have talked for three, four hours, even gone on days. There's far one. more in
1: these, isn't there? So yeah, absolutely. We did maybe well to keep it to that. I think so. Yeah.
0: Maybe we'll do a part two later in the year. Yeah, you? definitely, definitely yeah. up for that. We'll pick some interesting ones. But yeah, brilliant. Thanks for spending your time and joining us on the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free Leadership Diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for a future podcasts.